Um, without further ado, the Word of God. The Word of God. And so if you guys would, please turn with me in your Bibles to where? Genesis. That's right. Genesis. The book of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible. And uh, today we're actually going to kind of skip a big chunk of Genesis. And we're going to land in Genesis chapter 35 this morning. Genesis chapter 35. And so um, I will give us a, a rundown of what has, has transpired uh, since the last passage that we were in last week with, with Isaac and Abraham. And, and so once we get there, I'll, I'll kind of walk through. Uh, but first, is there anyone in here who has ever heard of a man uh, by the name of Robert Robinson? Robert Robinson. Anybody at all? So you, you'll be familiar with him possibly as things go. I believe we have, yeah, we have a picture of him. Uh, that is Robert Robertson. He, uh, when he was just a small boy, his father passed away. And it was the 18th century England. And there was little by way of social welfare systems at, uh, at that age or at that time period. And so as a young boy, if you would just hang that picture up there. Um, as a young boy, that meant that Robert had to go and, and go to work to help support his family while he was still very young. And without a father to guide him and, and to show him the right way, Robert fell in with bad companions and began to form, uh, at that time, what was a gang. And one day, as he was late in his teen years, his gang began to harass a gypsy fortune teller. And they began uh, to... to push her around and knock her to the ground. They even threatened to kill her unless she would give them their future fortunes for free. And out of anger, the gypsy fortune teller pointed at Robert and he said, for you, you're going to live to see your grandchildren and your children's children and your great-grandchildren. And at that moment in time, he, he was struck in the heart by something that should have been joyous, but for him it was not. He thought to himself at that very time, if I'm going to live to see my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, I'm going to have to change the way that I'm living. I can't keep going on the way that I'm going now. And so Robinson decided to go and hear Methodist preacher George Whitfield. But to cover his back, so to speak, his, his weak urge to go to church is what he called it. He asked his gang to go with him so that they could heckle the congregation in the middle of the preaching of God's word. And while Whitfield began to open up his Bible and began to speak, Robinson again was struck in the heart. Whitfield began with this verse in Matthew chapter 3 verse 7, and he said, O generation of vipers! Who has warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Robert left that church service under a deep sense of sin that lasted him nearly three years. Finally, at the age of 20, Robert made peace with God and immediately set out to become a preacher himself. Two years later, in the year 1757, he wrote a hymn that I believe expressed his great joy and his new faith. And it said this, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. He goes on to say, 
I want you to teach me a melodious sonnet that's sung by flaming tongues above. And then he says, Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. He penned these words as he became, as he became a Christian, as a, as a pastor. Shortly after this, sadly, Robinson walked away from being a pastor, walked away from his life of being a follower and f- far away from the streams that he once sang about. He journeyed into a distant country of carnality until one day he was traveling home at the death of his mother and he was on a stagecoach sitting beside a young woman who was engrossed in a book and she ran across a verse from a song and she thought was so beautiful and she said, Sir, Can I read to you this out loud? And I want you to tell me what you think. And so she began to say, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Bursting into tears. Robinson said, ma'am, I'm the poor unhappy man who wrote those words several years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to feel that way again. You know, Robert, I believe, was a shining example of what we're going to see in Jacob today in our passage of Scripture. Now, before we get there and we begin to dive in and, and read, I want to give us some context of what's happened What has transpired over the last several passages that that get us to this place? So we know that Abraham and and Sarah have passed on. Isaac, their son, has married Rebekah and is now pregnant with twins. Twins that will be named Jacob and Esau. Now Jacob was the younger twin of his brother and they were both the ancestors, he was the ancestors of, of Edom or the Edomites that are talked about in the Bible. The two boys, Jacob and Esau, are representatives of two different grades of social order. Jacob was a pastoralist or or one who took care of sheep and, and cattle, where his brother Esau was a nomadic hunter. He was a rough man, a man's man. Now, during her pregnancy, Rebecca was confronted by God and, and he told her that she would give birth to these twins. He said that each one of them would found a great nation. Esau, the elder, would eventually serve his younger brother. And as it turns out, Jacob, whose name means heel grabber or deceiver, by means of some elaborate deception, he manages to obtain his brother's birthright and he steals it from their father. In fear, Jacob flees his brother's wrath and he take refu- and takes refuge with the tribe of his ancestors, coming to his uncle's house, Laban. And along this journey, though, Jacob received a special revelation of God as God promised Jacob lands and numerous offspring that would prove to be a blessing to the entire earth. Now Jacob met with the Lord and he named the place where he received that vision Bethel. Bethel, meaning house of God. So he arrives at Laban's home, and Jacob falls in love with Rachel, Laban's daughter. And he worked for her for seven years to obtain her hand in marriage. But Laban deceived him with his older daughter, Leah. Unwittingly married to Leah, Jacob 
was compelled to serve Laban for another seven years so he could have the woman that he loves. After he's married to Rachel, Jacob then serves Laban for six more years. And in that time, he accumulates mass amounts of wealth and property and children and wives. And he sets on his way to return. But on the way, Jacob begins to wrestle with an angel of the Lord. We know from Scripture that this is a pre-incarnate version of Christ or, or a Christophany. And in that moment of wrestling, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Jacob then met and reconciled with his brother, and he settled in Canaan before he even made it to Bethel. And then you come to Genesis chapter 34. Probably one of the most sad, but also sordid chapters in the Bible. One that does not even mention the name God, not even once. Is it mentioned? In no form, we know that Dinah, Jacob's teenage daughter, is, is taken and sexually assaulted. And because of that, Jacob's two sons, Levi and Simeon, devise a plan of deception and they end up slaughtering the entire village. Jacob's family is a mess because the patriarch is now far from God and he's displaying no leadership with his family. Here, we have a journey of a perennial backslider. We have, a, we have a journey of one who is prone to wander away from God. And every time that Jacob does, he finds himself in trouble. And so we come now to chapter 35 of Genesis. And we will see that this passage is filled with some of the greatest emotions of the Bible. This chapter centers on multiple locations. It centers on three funerals, a great burial, on a birth, and a betrayal. Jacob, in this moment, is struggling with being out of fellowship with God. And through all of these experiences, he's finding it hard to feel tied to people, feel tied to worldliness, and he knows that he needs to rely upon God. So I'm going to ask us to do something that I would never, that I have not up until this point, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me to do this this morning as I was reading in the book of, of Ezra. And Ezra stood before the people, and he opened up what writings they did have, and he asked the people to rise in honor of God's word. And so I'm going to ask you to please stand with me this morning as I speak and, and read from the Bible as we honor God in this way. And so bear with me as I know this is a long passage, but please. It says in verse number one, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods or the strange gods, as some versions read, that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the ways which I have gone. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands. And note this, and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree or buried them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. 
And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. But Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the, the land of Canaan, and he and all his people were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. And now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. And so the name of it was called Alan Bakthuth. And then God appeared to Jacob again, and when he came from Padan Aram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall be called Jacob anymore, or not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. Again, he's reaffirming the name change. And so he called him Israel. And also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from your body. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you. And to your descendants after you I give you this land. And God went away from him in that place where he talked with him. And so Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he talked with him. A pillar of stone and he poured a drink offering on it. And he poured oil on it. And Jacob named the place where God spoke to him, Bethel. Look at verse number 16. And they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. And she had a hard labor. And when it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Ani, which his father called him Benjamin. Ben-Ani means son of my sorrow. And Benjamin means son of my right hand. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben, his son, went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. Now let's jump down to verse 27. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, which Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. And now the days of Isaac were 180. And so Isaac breathed his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, in this place. And and there's so much in this passage, Lord, that I hope uh, that we as a people see something fresh from it. Lord, that we would see how we need to rely upon you as Jacob does throughout this chapter. And so, Lord, I'm asking right now in this place to begin to penetrate the hearts and minds of the people here in this room. God, use me as your mouthpiece. Bring forth truth. Let it, to, let, let it shape and mold our hearts in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing I want us to see this morning in this passage is that we must rely upon God because of our beliefs. We must rely upon God because of our beliefs. It is interesting to note that the more that Jacob strayed away from Bethel, the more trouble he found himself in. He's like so many of us today that we know what we believe. We just don't always behave in accordance to what our beliefs are. Did you guys catch it? We are just like Jacob. We know what we believe, but we do not always live in accordance to those beliefs, or we don't behave in accordance to what those beliefs are. And that is the problem of Jacob. 
The whole Shechem incident in chapter 34, one chapter before this, happened because Jacob went to Shechem instead of Bethel. God asked him to go back to Bethel where he was supposed to be, and he didn't. He disobeyed, and now at last, he's finally back to where God told him to be. And so church, I want you to write this down. The only cure for worldliness is to break away from it. The only cure for worldliness is to break away from it. Look look with me. He says, And God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother. And so Jacob says to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. Put them away, the things that you worship. And so Jacob had to leave Shechem and go to Bethel. He had to depart from one way of living to a new way of living, to a new place. There was a new place for Jacob and his family to dwell. Notice in the text Jacob had to deal with the backsliding of his family because of what he believed. Look back at verse number 2. Put away all the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Jacob was told to go back to Bethel and resume a life of worship. To resume, to pick it back up. And this return to the Lord would have an especially good effect on the children of Jacob. This this should be a reminder to those of us who are parents and grandparents that the best thing that we can do for children is to choose God's path for ourselves. It's the best thing that we can do. And as Jacob looked back over his walk with God in the first meeting that occurred in, in Bethel, it must have seemed like a high point to him. The encounter with God when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. But to Jacob's credit, he refused to think that his best years with God were over. He, he began to look forward, and I love, he did exactly what John told us in the book of Revelation. He returned to his first love. He returned to Bethel, and God blessed it. You know, Jacob's family only got right with God after Jacob himself got right with God. That was it. And again, we're shown here in Scripture the tremendous leadership role that husbands have within the family. Men, I want you to listen to me real quick. And ladies, it doesn't mean for you to tune out for the next 10 seconds. But men, I want you to listen to me very closely. When a man resists God, you will see the same effect in your home. Men, you will see the same effect in your home. But when you, when you get right with God, when you seek after God, you will see the same effect in your home. You will have a blessing from God because you were obedient to him and doing what was right. Listen, no matter how hard we try to teach people around us, especially children, the, the ways of godliness, the, the way of, of godly conduct, our kids will continue to do what they see us do. And so if we're not following God, our kids are going to continue in that path. I believe that's why Charles Spurgeon said this wonderful quote that, uh, of men 
When we see that things are wrong in our household, we need to call our household together and say we must draw near unto God with a peculiar earnestness for we are going astray. He was calling men to rise up and take leadership in their homes. And then he goes on to say in that same sermon that he preached, he said, I'm afraid that too many families have lost prayer in their homes. Too many. And he said, and I'm sure, I'm sure that if prayer is not in your home, then the works of evil are. The works of evil. You know, in the midst of of darkness here for Jacob, he received a word from God and it prompted him to do something. It prompted, look with me back at verse number three. He said, let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Jacob confessed his faith in God. He he tells his family, we have no choice but to return to, to, to Bethel, to go and make an altar to God. He testified that every time he had been in distress, the Lord met with him. Now look at verse number four. And so he says to his family, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree or buried them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. Jacob did exactly what he needed to do and what he should have done several chapters ago when he left from Laban's home. He took all of the earrings of the people. He took all of the strange gods and he buried them under the oak tree. Do you know we're going to see in the next several verses, we're going to come across three deaths that happen, three burials that occur. But to me, I believe that this is the most important burial in the chapter. We've buried the gods away. We don't even see them. And Jacob leading his family is the most important lesson that we can see here. Church, I want to challenge you with something this morning. Jacob shows us here in this passage that every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus Christ should take stock of the things that are in their home that are aligned with ungodliness and you should remove them. You should get them out of your homes. Anything that is linked to worldliness, anything that flies in the face of God. How many times have I stood up here before you and I said that anything that doesn't align with Scripture, align with scripture is anti-Christ? Anything at all that does not align. We should remove the ungodliness from our homes. I remember several years ago that my wife and I uh, came home after a church service while we were still living in Florida and ministering down there. And we had a guest speaker come in. His name was Newt Larson, a very gifted uh, and godly man. And, and he stood up before us that morning and he began to challenge us of, of the idols in our lives. And he said to us, anything that we want with all our heart is an idol. Anything at all. And then he said that anything that pulls me away from godliness is an idol in my life. And it should be crushed. And he opened up to 1 Kings and he said, look at what Elijah did to the prophets of Baal. And my wife and I went home so convicted that morning 
The Holy Spirit was moving in our lives. And I remember us going home and my wife in tears sitting next to me. And we pulled every single movie off of our shelf that was at home that had any, any kind of immorality in it at all. And we said, we're done. And we threw it away. We got it out of our home. We got rid of cable. We got rid of internet. Why? Because we didn't want to have things in our home that could lead us down paths that we would allow for for idols to form. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm not saying the internet in and of itself is bad. But do you know that our world, the two fastest growing industries in our world right now are the industry of pornography and the industry of sex trafficking. The two fastest growing industries. Our world is inundated. Inundated with immorality. And unfortunately, the the third industry behind that is abortion. Jacob and his family declared in Scripture declared that they were going to separate from the false gods. We're going to remove them. Even the earrings that they had. Now we don't know specifically where those earrings came from, but it's a good indication that they had something that was tied to a false god, so they were removed. The earrings were removed. So please don't say that we can't have our ears pierced. That's not what I'm saying. These specific earrings here, they were going to return to the place of blessing after they had separated from the idols. And this is what gave life and hope to Jacob. If he could return to that place of blessing and hear from the Lord one more time, he knew that everything in his life would be set straight. Everything would be right. Now look at verse number 5. And as they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the city that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. I want you to notice that as they traveled, they were left completely alone by the people of the city. They had God's protection over Jacob and his family. Now, it would have been fair for God to allow consequences to come upon Jacob and his family because of their sinfulness. And yet God's grace covered Jacob even when his sin made them vulnerable. Even when. And Jacob and his family needed that protection by God because of the massacre that happened in the chapter before. The Canaanites had come to a place where they hated Jacob and his family. But they saw victory through God because they were obedient. They saw victory because they were obedient. Do you know, it was dangerous for Jacob to set out in that moment to head towards Bethel, but it was more dangerous for him to disobey God. It was more dangerous to disobey God. You know, the only thing that could save Jacob and his family was radical obedience to Christ right now in Scripture. That was it. Radical obedience, no matter what the circumstances look like. Church, no matter what your circumstances are, the safest place to be is the center of God's will. The safest place to be. 
doesn't matter what's going on in your life, we should always, always, always seek to do what is right. Look with me now to verse number 8. And now Deborah. And now Deborah, um, Rebecca's nurse died and she was buried below. Uh, below Bethel, under the terebinth tree. And so the name of that place was Alan Bukthuth. And when God appeared to Jacob again, when he came to Padanaram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. And so he called him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. And God went up from him in that place when he talked with him. And so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with God and a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering on it and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of that place where God spoke to him Bethel. You know, when Jacob finally arrived at the place where God told him to go, he immediately found great blessing. God appeared to Jacob. He blessed Jacob and he called Jacob by his new name, Israel. He called him by the new name. The reminder of the new name is important. Why? Because Jacob had been acting like his old self, not acting like Israel. He was straying far from God and yet God wanted to set his mind on the new man that God created him to be. And just now, in Scripture, relationship between Jacob and God was restored. Right here, we see restoration occur, and it's an example of what it means to return to your first love. As I said earlier in the book, from the book of Revelation, Jacob remembered to go to Bethel. He remembered. Do you know, do you know why? Do you know why uh, the Bible says that we should have uh, communion or we should partake in the Lord's Supper. Paul, Paul told the church it was an act of remembering of what God had done for us. The act of sending his son to die on the cross. So as a believer, we should remember our salvation. We should never forget. We should never take for granted what has been given to us through sacrifice. We should always remember the ways in which God has restored, which God has returned to us. Every single time, we should always be remembering. Why? Why? Because it keeps our minds stayed on truth. I love what Jeremiah said in the book of Lamentations. He said, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Great is thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Jeremiah was in the midst of chaos and destruction. He was in a prison for, for speaking God's word. And all he had to do was to call to remembrance the faithfulness of God. And the entire passage begins to shift. Why? Because Jeremiah, because Jacob, because we are to be anxious for nothing but in everything. Meaning every situation with prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. And then what? The peace that passes understanding, all understanding will be given to you to guard your heart and your mind. And it says through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. He had to remember 
Forget not the former things, church. Forget not the former things. Jacob repented. He got rid of the idols. He went back to his his first work, so to speak, by building an altar and he began worshiping God. You know, Jacob did not need to hear anything new from God. Did you guys hear me? Jacob needed to hear nothing new from God. He just needed to be reminded of what was true. He didn't need to hear anything new. He just needed to be reminded of what was true. To be encouraged to cling to all of what is true. You know, God blessed Jacob remarkably after his return. And much blessing awaits those of us who do what God commands us to do. I'm not saying that your life is always going to be filled with with puppies and rainbows and candy canes. I'm not saying that you're going to have the coolest cars and the most money. But blessing awaits the the, the blessing of, of peace with God. The blessing of growth in our life with God. You know, appropriately here in the passage, I believe Jacob performed sacrificial acts of worship to God who blessed him so much. His heart of worship showed how much gratitude he had towards God. And when we look back on our life, church, friend, Christian, when we look back on our life, we should never have the attitude that I was robbed. Never. We, we, we should look back and say, God has blessed God has blessed. So we must rely upon God because of our beliefs. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that we must rely upon God because of our bereavements. Because of our bereavements. Do you know as Jacob returned to Bethel to to restore his commitment to the Lord, he faced some of the greatest tragedies that anybody could face in their life. There are three funerals and burials that occur here in this passage. Deborah, the nurse that was with Rebekah when she came to marry Isaac and was the nurse for Jacob and Esau. And she was the nurse for their children. She dies and she's buried here. And then look at verse number 16. And they journeyed from Bethel. And when they were with a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth and she had a hard labor and it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing for she died that she called his name Ben-Ani, but his father called him Benjamin. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is uh, Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. Now I want you to jump down to verse 27. And then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kerjath Arba, that is Hebron, where, Isaac, or where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. And now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And so Isaac breathed his last Uh, and died and was gathered to the people being old and full of days and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him we see Deborah pass first and then Rachel the beloved wife of Jacob dies in childbirth giving birth to the last son Benjamin or what she called Ben-Ani she named this child 
who before would have been seen as a cause for rejoicing and victory in competition with her sister. But she named him son of my sorrow as she breathes her last breath. We're seeing here in Scripture one of the first times that this shows the futility of Rachel's competition with her sister Leah. At the time of her final victory, so to speak, all she found was sorrow. All she found was sorrow. But Rachel's death was unfortunately a tragic fulfillment of the curse that Jacob himself pronounced on the one who stole the idols of Laban. His own wife that he loved was the one who brought the idols from her father's house. She was the one that, that brought them into their children. She was the one that Jacob loved and listened to. And guess what? Because she list, or he listened to his wife, idols were brought in and they strayed from God. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with, with Abraham and Sarah. Do you guys remember? That men would do well to, to gain godly wisdom from our wife, but our wives are not without fault as well. And so we need to be cautious. We need to be cautious of the influence that we have on one another. But this horrible turn of events were shown that even when we get right with God and we return to our first love, it does not mean that life becomes easy and comfortable. The sad reality is that life does not become easy and comfortable you know, there are constant challenges for us to trust God. Do you guys believe that in this place? That there are constant challenges for us to trust God. You know, we, we as, as believers should not prize comfort more than getting right with God. But in my 14 years of ministry, I have found for some comfort has become an idol. A false God that they worship and they constantly pursue and constantly want attention from. Some, unfortunately, only want a comfortable life, not a godly life. And sadly enough to say, there are some that I have encountered that the symbol for, for their Christianity is an easy chair, not a cross. We see here in the final death, Isaac's father dies at the age of 180 and is buried by his sons Jacob and Esau. And the death of, of this father leaves Jacob now as the only living link to the promise of God to send the Redeemer, the Messiah, to come. It was his calling now to live up to the greatest heritage that came through his grandfather and his father Abraham and Isaac. It was during these trials that we see God has become a source of strength for Jacob. And I love what the psalm writer said when he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my strength of life. Whom shall I be afraid of? And so to church, as hard as death can be, we must not forget that bereavement can be a hard trial, but it could also be a wonderful teacher. Death can be a wonderful teacher. I believe Job summed it up beautifully when he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. But he didn't stop there. Most people stop there. 
But the verse goes on to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There was a man, I believe his picture is going to hit the screen for you. There was a man by the name of David Livingstone. David Livingstone was at the heart of his exploration work in Africa, and he was driven to explore, emancipate slavery, but also uh, to evangelize with Scripture. David Livingstone was called the greatest African missionary in history. David and and his wife um, went to Africa, and his wife contracted malaria. And his wife, his wife was unable to handle the rigors of the missions work that they were on and, and, and what her husband was engaged with. And she died while they were on the mission field. They had small children. And in the hour of her death, he knelt between a tree that they had planted outside of their home. And he contemplated with God and argued with God about returning home to England and leaving the mission field completely. And as he sat there in tears, seemed for hours as he was screaming and crying out to God, he remembered the words of his dying wife on her, on her deathbed. She said to him, this will be your greatest trial, but never forget that God is enough. This will be your greatest trial, your hardest trial, but don't forget God is enough. Yes, bereavement is hard. But it's also a great teacher, a reminder of truth. And so we must rely upon God because of what we believe, but we must also rely upon Him because of our bereavements. And the last thing I want us to see is that we must rely upon Him because of our betrayals. Our betrayals. I don't need to know what it is, but how many of you have ever been betrayed by somebody before? I want us to see in this final verse that we're going to look at this morning something that happens. Verse 22. And it happened that when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went. So Reuben is the oldest son. He went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. And I want us to just stop right there. One of the most interesting interjections in this entire portion of Scripture is the betrayal of Reuben. The betrayal of Reuben. The firstborn son goes into Bilhah, the wife of Jacob, and the handmaiden of Rachel, and he sleeps with her. We might expect from our earthly perspective the best conduct from Reuben being the oldest We might expect him to take most seriously the covenant that was given to his father. And yet here, the son sinned in the most egregious way against his father and his entire family. However, we don't have to wonder about where the sinful conduct came. Where where it came from. You know, he lived in a home that was filled with strife. He lived in a home that was filled with contention and competition and the pursuit of all things worldly. So it's almost to be expected. Do you know through their sins, Reuben and Levi and Simeon seemed to disqualify themselves from the high calling of Abraham's blessing. It had to come through the fourth son Judah that the Messiah would come. 
The first three sons lost the blessing of Abraham because of their sinful nature. And the fact that it's mentioned here does have some bearing on the lessons that, that Jacob was learning and relying upon God. Do you know, I, I thought back as I was, I was preparing this sermon about all of the times that I could recall of being mistreated in my life. And how all of those times, if I thought back, honestly thought back over the last several, several years of my life, every time I was mistreated, my initial fleshly response was revenge. I mean, if I could just be honest with you. We want vengeance to come on the one who did wrong to us. But that doesn't happen here. It just says that Israel heard he didn't respond in his old Jacob way. He just, he heard. And I, I wonder here, if Jacob didn't respond and react in anger because he had learned that he was the one responsible. He was the one why the problems were there. He was the one who brought suffering. For his family. And if we read in the passage. He's wandering away from Bethel. Again. He's wandering away from the place God told him to, told him to dwell. Right out of the gate in the chapter. He said dwell in Bethel. But here we go. Jacob's on the move yet again. And so trouble comes. So not only do we get a beautiful picture of Jacob relying upon God, but we see what happens when we're disobedient. We see what happens. He's reaping the things that he had sown over the years. And even though he is reaping them, he is still showing restraint the time the Bible says that Israel heard it. He wasn't going to act like the old Jacob anymore. He was going to respond like the new man. This time, he would allow it to be dealt with in the Lord's time. Now, I've, I've learned uh, very much so that, uh, that Christians um, have a tendency to offend us more than non-Christians do. Um, I, I've, I've learned that, that churchgoers... Um, at times can be pretty nasty and divisive. And I've learned also in my young 32 years of life to hold very tightly um, to Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You know that God's vengeance is righteous. It's just. It's exactly what is needed in God's time. Just leave it in God's hands. And that's what we see here at this very moment for Jacob. That only people who rely upon the Lord can have the patience to let God do his perfect work. Only people who rely upon the Lord. That in every tragedy we can look at what we've lost and we can be hateful. Or we can look at what we have left and be grateful. I'm going to say it again. In every trial... In every tragedy, we can look at what we've lost and be hateful. 
or we can look at what we have left and be grateful to God. Look at what we have left. You know, we're going to see in the next two weeks to come a young man who comes from this family who understood what it meant to be a grand example of choosing to be grateful instead of hateful. And his name is Joseph. His name is Joseph. A man who was favored. A man who was thrown into a pit by his brothers. One who was sold into slavery one who was thrown into prison, all happening over 13 years of his life, and yet he remained faithful to God. He had to learn it from somewhere. He had to to learn faithfulness from someone. And guess what? In that day and age, it came from the Father. And so we're going to see that Jacob again begins to seek after God. And so church, I have a question for you this morning. What area of your life do you need to rely more upon God? What, what area? Is it in, in the way that you live because of what you believe or what you say you believe? Because maybe you're in here this morning and you say, I'm a Christian, I, I love God, but yet your life doesn't truly align with Scripture. It doesn't really look the way that the Bible talks about. And so maybe for you, I need to start relying upon God that whatever happens in my life, I'm going to continue to press forward. I'm going to get the worldliness and the ungodliness out of my family and out of my marriage and away from my kids, and I'm going to walk this path, right? We talked last week, the way is narrow and few. There will be few who will walk it. Church, if if statistics are correct, and then you know how much I'm a numbers guy, right? I'm constantly talking to you guys about numbers. If statistics are correct, a third of the people in this building right right now would still be here if the rapture occurred. If we were here and God came and we were taking a third of the people sitting in this building, that's scary to think about. So I'm not not up here to condemn you. I'm I'm not up here to tell you that, that maybe you're not a Christian, but I'm up here because we are told that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's what scripture tells us. And so maybe you're in here and you don't know. You don't know that you know that you know that you know that when you die, you're going to stand in the presence of God, not just to be judged, but for eternity. And so maybe, maybe that's your step. I, I need to rely upon God with my whole entire being this morning. Or maybe you're in here and you're suffering a loss of some sort, some trial pain that comes because of that loss and maybe we need we need to rely upon God through that loss we need to remember that God can be trusted with our pain God can be trusted with our trials we need to return to the house of God to to Bethel we need to worship you know he poured out a drink offering to God one that showed his love but his worship even in the midst of his pain he poured out a drink offering. He lost his favorite wife. He lost the, the nurse, the, the one who helped raise their children. And he would soon lose his father. Or maybe you're in here and you need to rely upon God because you've been betrayed. If you've never had an opportunity to read the book, The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. I would encourage you to read it. 
The entire book is about offense that occurs in church and how Satan uses betrayal like that to divide churches, to split churches. So maybe, maybe you're in here, and maybe it's not the church, maybe, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's one of your kids, a friend, and you feel as though you've been betrayed. You know who understands and had to walk through the ultimate betrayal? Christ. He was betrayed by one of his very own, Judas. So if there is anyone who can comfort us in our betrayals, it's the one who endured betrayal. And so I'm not, I'm not going to ask you guys to come up and, and, and confess to me at the altar where you're at in this moment. Or what area that you need to rely upon God. This is between you and the Lord. I can't, st- I, I can't, I can't you know, arm hold you to get you to love God. I can't get you to reach out to God. I can't get you to pray. I can't, I can't force you to read your Bible in this place. But I can, I can spur you on to remembering what Christ has done for you. So church, where do you need to rely upon God? Where do you need to rely upon God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place. And we thank you so very much, God, for your word, for your truth, for your challenge, for your encouragement, God. And I'm asking in this place for the Holy Spirit to impress upon us the areas of our lives that we need to rely more upon you. Maybe it's the idols in our lives that need to be removed. Maybe it's the loss of of those close to us or relationships. or, Or God, maybe it's just betrayal. And so, God, I'm asking for peace and comfort. I'm asking for joy and boldness. I'm asking for a move of you in this place. Continue to help us dig deep into your word, God. Help us to, to become a church that are meat eaters, ones that, that dig into the deep things of your word because we want to continuously be changing and growing more into who you want us to be as individuals but as a church. And so God, continue to, to use us. Continue uh, to, to allow for your truth to keep going forth here and continue to do work. The work that you're doing in here, God, is, is noticeable and we thank you. We thank you for your sufficiency. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your new mercy, God. We thank you for for the salvation that comes through you. So help us never to forget, God. Help us to have a lifestyle of remembering and repentance. Remembering and repentance. God, I ask and pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen and amen.